Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. I want people to stand up to be counted, and I want them to say, look, people, we're living in difficult times right now, but we're going to survive. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. It is truly a highlight and a great pleasure for me today to welcome into the studio someone Tell them who I am. I will. Well, I think they already know. <laughs> Somebody who needs no introduction, but someone who I met on the radio originally, and that's Dr. Ruth Westheimer. Ruth, thank, thank you, you so much for joining me today. At the crack of dawn for you from Washington Heights <laughs> in this traffic. Here I am. There I'm you all go. yours. Ruth, 2019 <laughs> uh, began as a very busy year for you. Let's start by talking about the documentary. Ask Dr. Ruth, now streaming on Hulu. First of all, it's an extraordinary film, and Thank congratulations you. to you. Thank you. Your story is inspiring. Your story is really um, something that dreams are built on. And again, movies are made about, and Ask Dr. Ruth speaks so well to that. Ruth, you've had a remarkable life. Many know your story, but I think it bears a little bit of a, a retelling your experience during one of the worst times in the history mm-hmm. in, in the Holocaust right. and, and how you were part of the kinder transport and your journey is inspiring to so many. And the fact that you've ended up being Dr. Ruth mm-hmm. uh, against the adversity that you experienced early in your life, the inspiration is beyond. Could you talk a little bit yes. about it and how you tell that story not only in the documentary, but how you tell it through your writings and the, the books you've written, not only on the obvious topic, but the books you write for children and the books that are so much a part of your being and the teaching you do at universities all over the world. Could you talk a bit about that? I hope you have 10 hours, but I'll do it fast. <laughs> Michael, I have an obligation. I'm four foot seven because by chance I survived while one million and a half Jewish children were killed. If I had not been on the train from Frankfurt, Germany, to Switzerland, I would not be alive. There were 10,000 children to London, to England, despite the fact that there were dark clouds on the horizon, and there were 300 to Holland, Belgium, and France. After the conference in Evian that was called, and Roosevelt, sent an emissary. That conference was called Let's Save German Jewry. And loud and clear for your listeners, the conference failed miserably. Except 10,000 children went to England. Michael, if I had been on the transport out of Germany to Holland, Belgium, and France, I would not be alive. By chance, I was on the group to Switzerland. And that's how I survived while my parents, and I was an only child, my parents, my grandparents, nobody else survived. 
So I have an obligation to make something. In Hebrew, it's called tikkun olam. That means to repair the world. I didn't know that I would talk about sex all day long. Look at his smile. Look at the engineer's smile. I say the word sex and everybody <laughs> smiles. Nobody so, says it quite like you, Ruth. Right. Uh, so what's important is, for example, there is a book, Rollercoaster Grammar, very fast. It's a graphic novel. That's what children read these days. I'm doing this because there are people who are deniers of the Holocaust. They say it never happened. And there are people who say, stop talking about it. They have what is called Holocaust fatigue, which is terrible because they say, we don't want to hear about it anymore. It's a long time ago. So I had to do the book. Not I, For children, I don't talk about the horror of Auschwitz, but I talk about my being sent to Switzerland at the age of 10 and a half, my being on a train with 50 other children. I later did a study about those children. I'll tell you about that in a moment. Guess what's happening today? Something new. Steven Spielberg, the Shoah Foundation, took Stephen Smith, his CEO. You know him. Yes, I do. They took the book. The book will go to all of the junior high schools in the United States and Canada, but not only that. They did do some animation in the film, and I was worried, Michael. I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to make me look like Pinocchio, or they're <laughs> going to make me look like Mickey Mouse. Not so. For example, they're showing the train station in Frankfurt am Main, my mother and grandmother, my father, had already been taken to a labor camp. There were no concentration camp yet. My mother and grandmother, they're showing as if they were alone. And in that railroad station, not so. They were the parents of all the other children. I talk a lot about loneliness. Millennials, that's why I did Sex for Dummies, a new one. I talk a lot about older people about loneliness in general, and in that animation, it shows the loneliness. You can feel it. Now, here's what's happening. In typical rude Westheimer fashion, my film is making babies. Because right now, as you and I speak, in Los Angeles, they are talking about, but we have the deal already, and we have already the money, since you talk a lot about money. Perfect. That animation is going to be made into a 10-minute film. They're adding 10 minutes, taking the animation from the documentary. So we have a book, Roller Coaster Grandma, but Ruth, and a film. Talk about why you call it Roller Coaster Grandma, because I think that's part of the <laughs> wonderful story. Because that's me. For example, I went with two of my four grandchildren, whom you know. Yes. I went to a country fair. And we wanted to go on a ride. We get measured. Guess what? They can go on the ride and I'm too short. <laughs> so I always, in the Talmud, Michael, it says, a lesson taught with humor is a lesson retained. So I always find something, despite the tragedy of having been an orphan at the age of 10 and a half, because my father had been taken to a labor camp and said, I have to join the group 
of children to Switzerland so that he can come back to Frankfurt. He really did come back, but I never saw him again. So I have an obligation to say and to really keep the memory of those children who did not make it. That's why I'm a member of the Museum of Jewish Heritage. And that's why even in the taxis in New York, I just saw a commercial I did for people to come and visit the Auschwitz exhibit at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. Ruth, when you speak, people listen. And they don't only listen to what you say about sex, they listen to what you say about life experience. And it's motivating and it's, it's so inspirational. Let's talk about some of the other books. Now, I, the last book is a book on diversity. All of us, especially you, big shot in marketing, all of us together have to stand up to say that we have to make sure that there is no discrimination against people who are shorter than me or people who are from a different race or people who are disabled. And that's why I did a book, beautiful illustrations. And all my books, I talk and Pierre Lay who writes. This one, I say to a crocodile, be happy to be in the body of a crocodile. And I'm saying to tiny little ants, you should be happy to be an aunt. If you cooperate with each other, you can build bridges and highways. So it's a beautifully illustrated for little ones. And I'm lucky. I talk, Pierre writes, and a beautiful illustrator does the book. You talk, Pierre writes, and people listen. Ruth, talk a bit about your teaching. Mm -hmm. You have been so active right. as a professor and obviously had maintained your private practice for so long, but you also took the road of a more scholarly approach in imparting your knowledge to students. Can you talk a bit about that? I really see myself as an educator mainly. That's really my role in life. And I have been fortunate. I have a doctorate from Columbia. I'm very fortunate that even at this old age, Advanced, advanced. Advanced old age. I'm teaching at Columbia my fourth year. I just finished teaching Yale and Princeton five years each, every sem semester in the spring. And I was just told last night I'm teaching again at Columbia. And I, it's a seminar on the image of the family in the media. And you, you don't know that yet. You, this semester, spring, will come to my class for free. Aha. Uh -huh. You don't get paid. I like it. But you will be teaching to my class at Teachers College. I also teach a small, a short a period, like a mini course at Hunter, about the history of sex education. And, Michael, I really see myself as an educator. That I talk about sex from morning till night happened by accident. I worked for Planned Parenthood. I used the data for my doctoral dissertation. I was very fortunate at Cornell to be trained by Dr. Helen Singer-Kaplan, who is beautifully portrayed in the documentary. And even now, I really see myself as an educator. When you said you used the word short, I remember probably close to 25, maybe almost 30 years ago, 
you joined me for lunch at a particular place in Los Angeles, and we were sitting and having lunch, and into the room walked George Burns. Right. And I remember. And he said. And I said, Ruth. And there was God. There was George Burns. And he said? Yeah, well, he was happy. What does a nice Jewish girl talk about those things? (laughs) But I didn't ask him if he's still active or not. I never ask personal questions. Even the people that I interviewed on my television program, 450 television shows on Lifetime with John Lolos, the producer, who came from the theater world. So he took people... He assigned them a problem. I did not know what, because in my private office, I didn't know what people bring to me. But I, on television, never used real people. I never used real people because I used actors and actresses. They portrayed the problem. He comes home. He finds his wife cheating. Not you. No, no, no. no. He finds his wife with another man. All of the things that happen in life, and I, after the uh, television, that period is done, I said, you did that beautifully. They got paid, and I could sleep at night. So I made it a rule. Now, when I go on other television shows, like all the time I do some, these are real people in the audience If they ask a question, it's all right with me. As you came to the end of your professional practice, private uh, sessions, Mm -hmm. did you notice a difference in in what the topics were? Yes. There's a shamelessness or a willingness to really say almost anything to you because you're Dr. Ruth. Not only that, they use the opportunity. They say, come to the corner to talk to me. So there is a difference these days. I'm not doing something that after I'm dead, you can still ask me questions. (laughs) <laughs> that that's not for me. However, it's very interesting because you can say and you can trace some of the questions that I don't get anymore. But as you know from the movie and as you know, because you met me so many years, David Letterman and all of them, they were really a little shocked when I talked, but they knew that I'm taking it seriously. And it's very important... One of the reasons that I keep on teaching is that in the Talmud, again, it says that you learn from your students. If you give a talk, you walk out and you have learned something by their questions. Absolutely. It's interesting, Ruth, because we do a lot of work in media, obviously, and many times we will be doing what's called a media review. Mm-hmm. And in a media review, you have lots of people competing to win the business. Mm-hmm. You, you line up and everybody is given a chance to win the business. And obviously there can only be one winner or, you know, sometimes there can be more than one, but you understand that. And during the process, there are lots of time and opportunity for questions. Mm-hmm. We always tend to judge the participants as much by the questions they ask as by the answers they give. Because the questions give you an insight into the person's psyche. The question, the answer isn't always as important as the question. And I say to people, if they ask a question, I've been to many seminars with you, and you are brilliant in those. Thank you. And you got an award last year, and I was there. That's correct. But I have said very often, please ask the question, don't say your name, 
And you can always say, a friend of mine has a question. So it's very important to keep, to keep that framework of knowing. That's why I kept my academic life. Uh, and now I have something brand new. You know, but your engineer doesn't know. And your listeners don't know. That's I'm correct. Getting, I have a few honorary doctorates in this country. Guess what? And I'm jumping for joy. At the age of 91 and a half, I'm getting an honorary doctorate at Ben-Gurion University in Israel in May. And you, Mike, have to come. I'm going to be there. Uh, did you hear? Everybody, all your listeners, I'm holding you to it. You bring your wife. Of course. Okay. And don't bring your whole family. You have too many grandchildren <laughs> to bring, but do bring uh, Ronnie. I will. Ruth, talk about that for a moment. Mm-hmm. Receiving that honor at Ben-Gurion University is quite special. How does that happen? You're Dr. Ruth. People, of course, want to honor you for all you've done and all you've accomplished, but that one's got to stand I think, out. Oh, this one is, I'm very pleased that what they said at Ben-Gurion, it's the university in the Negev, it's important because I remember Ben-Gurion declaring the state of Israel. I was in Jerusalem. He was in Tel Aviv. And I remember I can hear his voice in my ear when he declared the state of Israel. I would never have known that I'm going to live in the States, but I go to Israel every year. And I'm very committed that every people in this world have to have a country of their own. For so sure. That, so that this what happened in World War II will not happen again. I have to tell you, Michael, I, everybody knows I don't talk about politics. I changed my mind as of today. You are it. Listen, I don't talk about celebrities and their sex life. I know about it, but I don't tell you. <laughs> and I don't tell your listeners. However, I've changed my mind. These days, I do stand up how sad I am when I see children being separated from their parents. That's my story. How upset I am that abortion is against the political, again, a political football. And in this great country of ours, with so much money around, that we don't have enough money for family planning, for Planned Parenthood. So there are three things that I, these days, have changed my mind and I talk about. And, and Ruth, I can attest to that. And most of our listeners, I'm certain, have heard you multiple times, whether it be on the radio or on television mm-hmm. or uh, in the press, uh, because you are such a public figure. Although we have kidded around for so many years that you think, I think people don't know you. I'm going <laughs> to tell you, I'm going on record again. Everybody knows you um, <laughs> and everybody appreciates you. But you've always been staunch in your unwillingness to take those positions mm-hmm. because you're such a public figure when you take those positions you you brand yourself. You brand yourself in a certain way. I learned way. that word branding from you. Well, See? you know. But you brand yourself. So You could teach everybody a thing or two about branding, Ruth. Yeah, but today I stand up to say that anybody, that's why I'm on the board of the Museum of Jewish Heritage. That's why I'm on the board of the Y. They just raised over $5 million. The museum raised a lot of money. They always need money. Jeff Tabak is sitting here. He's on the board with me. So God forbid if I don't say that the Museum of Jewish Heritage needs some money. The, the exhibit is superb. 
And I have to tell you something, Michael. There were some people on the board who did not want to have that exhibit that comes from Spain because of the cost. No other thing. The exhibit on Auschwitz. I played a card, which I'm telling you on your program, which I never do, never did before. I said there were a few people who didn't want it because of the cost. I said, people, we have to have that exhibit. This is like a grave for my parents who don't have graves. And so I, I got those people to vote for, and now it's very successful, already prolonged. That's great. Ruth, we're coming into a 2020. We're coming into a new year. It's a celebrated year. We have elections. I don't want to get into any of that, but it's an important year. Mm-hmm. And 2020 references eyesight and, and vision, not the year, but the, the concept. What's your vision? What do you think is on the horizon? You can pick the topic. Mm-hmm. I, it, you've given, uh, and I know you don't ever do that, your position on abortion and, and, and the things you talked about a, a few moments ago. Is there anything on the horizon that you're excited about in the new year? Yes. And, and, you know, could in, you share that with our uh, listeners? First of all, about my honorary doctorate. There you go. That's on the <laughs> and, horizon. In, in Israel in May, and you are coming. There you go. I think, in my heart, loving this country like immigrants love this country. We are a strong country. I think we are going to survive. And I think that even so, the difficulties, we are going to survive. And I would like people of goodwill to stand up and to make sure that we are surviving. And 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 thriving. And thriving. So I think we have to keep on a serious note. We have to make sure that people are remaining optimistic. Not only immigrants who love this country, like myself. I didn't think I would live here. I thought I would live in Israel. I have no problems living here. Let's face it. (laughs) You have given me a good life all over the years. I want people to stand up to be counted. And I want them to say, look, people, we're living in difficult times right now, but we're going to survive. And one more thing, in the book Sex for Dummies, all of these books I do with Pierre Lehu, I talk, he writes, I talk about loneliness. And I want to say that loud and clear. That's not only the millennials. The millennials have another problem that you will have to address. There is going to be... The art of conversation is getting lost. People will not be able to talk to you and me like this because they're all on their phones. You see them in the streets, and especially the millennials. Terrible. Also, children are going to develop, important for your grandchildren, they are going to develop a physical ailment in the neck because they're constantly like this. Loud and clear. Use the phone. I have one when you need it, but don't forget the art of conversation. And here I'm saying, don't forget the issue of loneliness, not only millennials, also older people. So Ruth, I can't resist. I do want to talk about sex for dummies, but you mentioned your phone. Mm-hmm. I'd like the world to know. Who you bought, gave me the first one. Who gave you your first phone? You. <laughs> it was heavy. I couldn't carry it. I it was needed, bigger than you. I needed a guy to go with me. <laughs> To carry that heavy phone. How interesting how fast 
it became obsolete. Absolutely. Right? Ruth, the, the Sex for Dummies, it's the fourth edition. I guess the question I'd ask as a final question is, what's changed? You talked about loneliness. That's certainly one. And we've talked about this before, the yes. isolation that comes from people being on their phone and but, being... But the art you know, of conversation. And the art of conversation. Are there other things that you... Yes, you've... I tell you what. There are things like the Me Too movement. There are things I took Raul Gallo from the New Jersey University, a good friend of mine, who knows about the issue of gender because there are things I don't know and we don't have enough research, validated scientific data. So I did use other people to talk to Pierre and me because I never, I was never embarrassed and never will be embarrassed by saying I don't know. And I want to tell you that everybody who listens to you and me, that any time you call me to get up at the crack of dawn from Washington Heights to do a radio, I'll be there. Well, Ruth, I want to thank you. I know our audience uh, loves to hear you, and I appreciate your insights. I appreciate your story, and I appreciate our friendship. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to give you a kiss. Everybody should know. Okay. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Jessica Kreinchich. 